so glad to uh, be here with you this morning as we continue in this series called Courageous Stories of Faith, where Christian and myself have been going through various folks of the Old Testament, talking about their stories and how we can relate to those stories and how we can be used by God through our courage to propel his plan forward. In fact, as we've seen time and time again, God uses people like you and me, like men and women of the Old Testament, men and women of the Bible, to, to, he uses them to, for specific times and places to carry his message forward. And we can see that throughout history, and we can see it here today. And I hope you can relate to this. Remember, God always uses people to prepare, to, to move his message forward. He always uses people like you and me. So that nudging that you have, that the feeling that you have to get involved in various things, reach out, to be a light in your community, that's from God. Just like the folks of the men and women in the Old Testament. You've, we've been trying to go through this, uh, the, these folks. There's a lot of folks in the Old Testament. We're trying to go through in somewhat of a general chronological order as much as we could. And so you've seen this time and time again. This is the Old Testament timeline, and I know you'll be sick of this by the time we're done, but you've seen this before. You know that we've been kind of going through these folks. We, so we started talking about Noah during the universal history and the period of the patriarchs. Christian talked about Shipra and Pua, who helped protect Moses, who led the people out of the Exodus into the wilderness there. We talked about the period of the judges, where there weren't kings yet, but there were judges put in place. We spoke about Gideon. We spoke about Hannah and her faith through, her courage through prayer to have Samuel, who was the last of the judges. We talked about Ruth last week. And now we finally, finally, we get to go to page two, part two of this, right? Yes, there is a back, right? Part two, the Old Testament time, as you keep moving through. Listen, it's important you know this because those of you who read the Old Testament or try to read the Old Testament, you'll say, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the Bible one year. I'm going to read the whole Bible in one year. You'll get to Leviticus and you'll stop because you go, I don't get it. What's with all the laws, right? But we know that the as Samuel was the last judge, he was the one who appointed the, the king. That's where we move into the Israel's monarchy begins. First Samuel 8, it says that Samuel, the last judge, appoints Solomon, the, uh, excuse me, Saul, the king. Then he appoints David. And we could spend a whole series or whole year just talking about David, the courage that he had, the trials that he went through. And then David's son Solomon, you, when you think of Solomon, we think of all these images of Solomon being this great king and having all this wealth. They talk about Solomon being the wealthiest man that ever lived. Temples and chariots and horses, all kinds of stuff. It was kind of the, the height, the pinnacle of the history of the Israelites. But then what happens is Solomon has sons and these sons start bickering. And it splits. They, they decide to split the kingdoms. The ten northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Israel. And we have this narrative all the way through. The ten northern tribes are, are what they call Israel. The two, two southern kings are 
what they call Judah. It's made up of, of Judah and Benjamin. Then we have this. This is a snapshot, a closer look at the, two, at, the, at the split of the kingdoms. You're wondering if we're having a test on this. Yes, in fact, we are. You have a test on this in a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. So here we are. We have the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. You see the split. I know there's a lot of things on here. What you need to see is that the northern kingdoms split. Okay, they turn away from God. They don't last very long. Okay, they don't last very long. In fact, they go into captivity in like 700, so like 200 some years. The the southern kingdoms they follow the Lord for a, a lot longer. They're following God's principles, so they go a lot longer, further. And the northern kingdoms, what you'll see is they get really bad, really bad. They turn away from God altogether. Isn't it interesting when you think about the Israelites and how it was founded on God, basic principles, how far they moved away. Kind of think about us here in this culture, don't we? We think, you know, it was founded on biblical principles and how far we've removed God from every component or aspect of, of what we believe. And that's where we get Elijah, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But you understand when you're reading the narratives, the scriptures, I want to make sure that you understand you're reading all the narrative. When we get there, this is all listed in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Esther is way out here at the end. That's like the last of the narrative. Then you have all the writings of all those folks, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You have all these guys here who are, are prophets, who are talking to the people about turning back to God. And so you have books about these folks who write about turning back to God. What will happen if you don't turn back to God? And they're constantly trying to remind the tribes of in Israel and Judah, you got to turn back to God. So we get to Elijah here. And Elijah was, the, was during the, the northern kingdom reign, okay, when it was really bad. In fact, they... Uh, they were going on for a number of years, 200 some. They had 19, 19 consecutive evil kings. So Solomon and his sons, and then there was an evil king, and they just got worse and worse and worse and worse. So can you imagine 200 some years of evil leaders? That would be, and put it in perspective, America founded in 1776, all the way up to now, Every leader was completely evil. That's where Elijah's lived. In fact, when Elijah gets here on, on the stage, there's a king, Ahab, who is what they call the evilest among all other kings. He's married to an evil woman, maybe familiar, Jezebel. Not many kids named Jezebel nowadays, is there? Right? I don't know many kids named Ahab either. Right, because these are evil kings. These are, these are under their reign. The Bible says that Ahab and Jezebel did more evil in God's eyes than all the leaders before them. They would sacrifice their own children. They would do heinous things. They would worship other idols. They were so far removed from God. Now that's where God raises up Elijah. It's interesting because you'd think at this point God would raise up an army. He's going to raise up a huge army to fight in the northern kingdom before they get wiped out. He's going to raise them up. No, he raises up a man. Isn't it interesting that God uses people, men and women today, to affect the culture? 
One man, one woman to affect the culture. He doesn't always use mass militaries or groups of people. He uses individuals like me and you to affect the culture. That's what he does with Elijah. Elijah stands up with courage. With courage against the northern kingdoms. You know, I'd argue today that that happens today. In the culture that's so far removed from God, he'll raise up somebody to take a stand. He might raise up a teenage girl to stand up against sexual purity. He might raise up a young business leader to stand up against integrity in the workplace. He might raise up a politician to stand up on practices that are true and biblical. He uses men and women like you. He may use you to stand up in your own family, your workplaces, your schools, some places that are so far removed from God that he'll use, just like he did with Elijah. Now, Elijah is a man who we don't know a whole lot about. There's not a ton about Elijah. But if you've ever read 1 Kings, and all this is listed out in 1 Kings, we, we know of Elijah of a great battle that happened with Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. You see, it was a period of drought. It was a period of drought. And Elijah goes to King Ahab and says, listen, it's not going to rain until I say so, because that's what God told me. So he gathers all these people on Mount Carmel for this great showdown in 1 Kings 18. In fact, if you have the chance to go to Israel with myself and Christian next year, we're going to go to Mount Carmel for this big battle that had happened. At the base of Mount Carmel is what they call Megiddo. Megiddo is listed in Revelations as the place where the uh, Armageddon is going to happen. So a big battle that happens. But Elijah's up there, and he goes against 850 priests of Baal, prophets of Baal, the, the false god. He goes up against these prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and he says this. He says, listen, 850, you're going to build, I'm going to show you whose god is real. You're going to build an altar. You're going to ask your God to light it on fire. Then I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going to ask my God to light it on fire, and let's see whose God is real. So if you read 1 Kings 18, it's funny, because Elijah's kind of taunting these people. He's like, maybe your God doesn't hear you. And they're screaming, they're shouting, they're cutting themselves for hours upon hours. He goes, maybe you should yell louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on vacation. And he's screaming, and they keep yelling, and nothing happens. And finally he goes, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to show you whose God is real, whose God you really should be following. He says, but before I light this on fire, I want you to douse it with water. I want you to pour tons of water all over this, this altar before God lights it on fire. And that's where we pick up 1 Kings 18, verse 36. He says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things under your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and licked up the water on the trench. Then all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't it amazing that God used one man to go against the culture in big ways? Now we've seen throughout our time talking about these different people that God uses sometimes 
people to use, do some big things. Sometimes God uses people to do small things. We looked at that a few weeks ago when Shipra and Pua, who protected Moses, did a small thing. They said, you know what, I'm going to follow what God's plan is to protect these young babies. So they didn't kill Moses. A small thing. Elijah, he builds up to do big things, doesn't he? The thing is, is that whether it's big or little, God uses us, uses the courage of people to propel his message forward. Elijah's name literally means God. My God is Yahweh. So we have this Elijah who, period of a great drought, eventually goes back to Ahab and says, listen, there's a drought. It's not going to rain. You know there's a drought, so we're going to do this big showdown on Mount Carmel. But what's interesting is that when you look at the life of Elijah, he doesn't have a whole lot of stuff written about him before he just kind of jumps on the page. In fact, when you're reading 1 Kings about the evil of the kings, excuse me, Elijah just shows up. In 1 Kings 17 verse 1, it says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Galilee said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except to my word. So if you're reading 1 Kings, you, you, go, through the, you go through it and you get to verse, chapter 16 and they're talking about all these evil kings. And then all of a sudden in verse, chapter 17, Elijah just, just shows up and says, hey, he goes to Ahab, the evil king says, it's not going to rain. You got, when you look at your Bible, you go, is, did I miss something? Did I miss something about Elijah in, in chapter 16, 16 and a half? What happened? It's not like this great guy who done all these great things just comes back like Gandalf, like just shows up and like, oh, look, the, look, he's going to save us, right? He just shows up. And the only thing it says about Elijah is where he's from. It's so bizarre. And then... When you read the story of Elijah, he's only in there for six chapters, and he performs all these miracles, and at the end of his life, he's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. He's one of the only people in the Bibles that we know never died. He was just taken up in a whirlwind. That's how, that's how I want to go, right? When I look at the life of Elijah, I go, man, I'd like to be dropped on the scene, perform a bunch of miracles, and just be taken up to heaven. I mean, that fantastic. Good for him, right? It's a bizarre story, but the courage he had. We don't know much about him. All we know is he just jumped on the scene and said, listen, it's not going to rain. Now, when you say it's not going to rain, we think of a drought. We think around here, it's a drought, not that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal back then. This is what we would term an economic shutdown because we don't have water. Crops aren't growing. Food's not coming. Animals are dying. I mean, it's an economic shutdown. It would be like Elijah coming, somebody coming in now and saying, look, going to be an economic shutdown here. There's going to be no more gas. Banks aren't going to lend any more money. You're not going to have electricity anymore. People are going to starve to death. Unemployment rate's going to go up to like 90%. It's going to be a mess. That's what Elijah, when he jumps on the scene, does. And then God uses Elijah in, in, in such amazing ways. He comes on the scene and it says, it's not going to rain for years. And then you think, okay, well, now he's going to go, that's for in chapter 17. Now he's going to go right away up to Mount Carmel and do this big battle. And it doesn't happen. God actually takes him somewhere else before he goes up to the mountain, perform this great miracle. 
And that's where my study took me this week. Because we often will see people doing some great things. We'll see people stepping up and making an impact on their culture. We'll look at people around us and go, man, they're doing some great things. They're really following after God. And we go, I can do that. I can do that. I want to be like that. We do this all the time. We think, you know what? There's, God is just going to use them. There's going to be no preparation. There's going to be a season of training. I can do that. I want to do that. But yet we see God takes Elijah through a season of training and preparation. We do this when we're watching TV. We'll see things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, like sports or things. You watch TV and go, I want to be like that, right? I can do that. A few months ago, I was, uh, I was watching the Tour de France, and I thought, I can do that, right? These guys riding 150 miles uh, every day for three weeks, I can do that. I have the body type for it. I certainly can do that, right? <laughs> so in fact, I, I got my son. My son and I were um, biking, and I, I got my, uh, my mountain bike, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get bike shorts. I'm going to get like a youth small t-shirt to make it look real tight, and my son and I are going to go on a 25-mile bike ride, right? I got about eight miles before I felt like I was going to pass out right? Why? Because those guys have been preparing for this journey for months and months and years. Elijah, before he goes up to the mountain to do something big for God, had been preparing for this so much in his life, so God was going to use him. What happens next is that after he predicts that there's not going to be rain, God doesn't take him to the mountain. He takes him into a series of training, preparation. Because what God is saying to Elijah is, there's so much more I need to do in you because there's so much more I want to do through you. In other words, people will look and say, I want to do some great things for God. And don't understand the season that they go through that God is preparing them, preparing you right now to do some amazing things for God. Right after he has his prediction about the rain, God takes him into a season of preparation, just like some of you are going through, seasons of preparation, three seasons of preparation that he took Elijah through. The first one is this, is isolated pain. You think before he got to Mount Carmel, you think, man, he must have had a lot of faith to go up against 850 prophets of Baal, to be able to stand in front of them and say, you know what, God's going to light that on fire. You know how he had that faith? You know how he had that courage? Because the season of training that he went through. Because he went through a season of isolated pain. Right after he has his prediction in verse 2 of 1 Kings 17, it says this, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So you think, okay, what happened to the battle? Mount Carmel, what's going on? No, no, no. God says, listen, there's so much more I want to do in you because there's more I want to do through you. Seasons of preparation. He goes to the Kareth Ravine. Kareth uh, is the term for cut down or cut off. It's basically a place that's desolate. He wants to get Elijah to a place where he's totally, humbly depending on the Lord. It's a, a season of isolation and pain. He says, I'm going to take you down privately so I can use you publicly. Seasons of pain. I wonder if he at any point said, where's God in all this? Hey, hey, I, I thought I was going to do something great. Here I am at this brook. I'm eating roadkill for morning and evening fed by ravens, right? What's going on? I was talking to someone this week. 
who said, Jared, I just want my life to matter. I want to do something for God. I just don't feel like it's going very well. I have a lot of pain. I have a lot of grief. I have a lot of sadness. He said, I want to do something for God. I don't understand why I'm in this situation when I want to do stuff for God. And I said, listen, God has you exactly where he needs you to be because he's preparing you to do something great. He's working in you so he can use uh, you mightily. So I, I, I told him, I said, listen, stop praying that God gets you out of the situation. Start praying for God to teach you through the situation. What do you need to learn through the situation you're in? Some of you are in marriages that are falling apart. Some of you are in jobs that are terrible. Some of you are in places that a family doesn't know God at all. Some of you are in deep places of pain and grief. And I say, listen, don't try to breeze through that. Understand that God uses that preparation to prepare you to be the man or woman that God has uh, for you to be. Just like he did for Elijah. Before Elijah had to go to the mountain, he first had to go down pretty low. So he takes him to this place of isolated pain. I remember when I first was called to be a pastor many years ago, I thought I'd get together with a pastor friend of mine who was a mentor of mine. He had been in ministry for 20 plus years. And I said, uh, what would you say if your, your kids ever came to you and said, I want to be a pastor? And he said, Jared, I would tell them to do every other thing possible before they became a pastor. And if they still want to be a pastor, then I'd say, okay. I thought, oh, this is encouraging. I said, why? He said, because God's going to break them down. God's going to use some pain in their life to break them down humbly so that they can become a good pastor, so that they can be used by God. And I hate to see my kids have to go through that. Last week, Christian talked about how in the year 2000 was one of the lowest points he had in life. I had a low point in my life last year where I thought, is God using me? Where's God going to take me next? And he brought me here. Some of you are in seasons of grief and dep uh, depression and anxiety and fears and worry, and you're going, is there a purpose to my life? What is next? I feel like I'm in the Kareth Ravine like Elijah. And understand this, God uses broken things. God uses people like you and me that are broken, that humbly, humbly are relying on him to supply our needs. Vance Harvner said, God uses broken things all the time. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. God always uses broken people. So those of you that are in the Kareth Ravine like Elijah, while it's painful, Understand that God's got a purpose. Be encouraged because God's preparing you to do something great. The second thing that God takes Elijah through is not only isolated pain, but what I call total dependence. Total dependence. Look at verse 5 of 1 Kings 17. So he did what the Lord told him to do. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. They brought him bread in the morning, bread in the evening. The question is, is that did the ravens give enough food for three months? No. Three weeks? No. Three days? No. One day. In other words, Elijah was totally dependent on the Lord every single day of his life. That's what we talk about that give us our daily bread, that we constantly are going to the Lord for things that we need. A lot of times we want all kinds of things. We want to be supplied with finances. We want to have a, uh, a spouse. Some of us are single. We want to desperately be married. We want to have company. We want to be with other people. 
And God said, listen, you, you may get that at some point, but this is where I have you right now. One day at a time. I want you to understand that I'm providing everything that you need one day at a time. One day at a time. A single mom knew this well. She would pray every day, very loudly in her apartments. She would pray to God and worship him for his provision. She lived next door to an atheist who hated hearing her prayers because the walls were thin. She would worship God, and the atheist would come over and say, Lady, you're a fool. There's no God. And one week, there was not enough money to even buy groceries. So she started praying really loud. Oh, God, you always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come through. Oh, God, please provide food for my children. God, please provide. The atheist had enough. So he went to the grocery store, brought some, bought some bags of food, and brought them over to the woman's apartment, put them outside her door, and then hid in his apartment. She came out and saw the food, and he jumps out and says, ha, you fool. There's no God. God didn't do that. I just did it to prove you there's no God. And she worshiped him even louder to God. She said, thank you, go God. Thank you for providing my needs. And you made the devil pay the bills. <laughs> God always provides, doesn't he? He always provides for us. Maybe it's not an infinite supply of things. But he provides for us on a daily basis. I'll be your provision for today. I'll be your strength for today. Some people would wake up and say, God, I need strength for the week. No, we need strength for today. God's gonna provide what you need today, just like he did for Elijah, one day at a time with the ravens being fed. It was a total dependence. The third thing that God does, not only took him through isolated pain, but total dependence, but a season of unconditional obedience. <clears throat> it says in 1 Kings 17, 7 this, sometime later, <clears throat> the brook dried up because there was no more uh, rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. He says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, why would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and says, and bring me a piece of, of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. Now, if I were Elijah, <clears throat> I would be going, what on earth is going on here? First, God takes me to this ravine. I've got total, I have to have total dependence on him. It's isolation. It's painful. Now uh, the brook dries up and I've got to go to this widow's house. I ask for food and she's saying she doesn't have enough food that her and her son are going to die. What on earth is going on? This is just getting going from bad to worse. We say, God, I had this job I don't even like, but Elisa was paying the bills and now you took that away from me too. God, I had this marriage that wasn't so good, but at least I had some company with me, and now you took that away from me as well. God, I, I had these kids that, you know what, I, they weren't really good kids, but, you know, at least they were around. Now they've gone off and done some things. I don't even know. They're gone. God, I, I was desperately trying to find someone to marry, and I was lonely, and I was okay with that, but now I've got this sickness that I can't even go out and see anybody. 
God, I had this security built up, and now you took that away from me too. Elijah went from bad to worse. But God always provides. You never hear Elijah complaining throughout this process. The same God who gives him water caused the brook to dry up, gave him courage to take a step of total obedience, didn't he? It's the next step. We don't know what that next step is. He just said, go. Our church building here, as you know, is our lease is up next year. Or the question is, where are we going, right? I don't know. Guess what? God knows. That's great. That's where we're totally dependent on him. God's never early. He's always on time, isn't he? We wish he was. We wish he would just show us what needs to happen next to pay the bills, to get through this sickness, to, to get through the next step. He says, no, just go. Just go to this widow's house. And so he goes, if you know the story, the flour, the oil never runs out because Elijah says, listen, you provide that bread, provide the oil, it's not going to run out. Why would Elijah be able to say that? It's because he was first totally dependent on God up to that point. He had, his life was being prepared at that point Because God took him through isolated pain, total dependence, and now he's in a situation where he's got to rely on God even more, and now he's an encouragement to somebody else. Another miracle happens. Later in the story, 1 Kings 17, the boy dies. (laughs) Now, if I were Elijah, I'd go, okay, this is getting terrible. Nope. Elijah says, don't worry about it. The boy's going to come back to life. It's one of the only times in the Bible besides Jesus raising somebody from the dead, that Elijah does. So he takes the boy, the boy's upstairs, and Elijah throws his hands over and breathes three times, and God raises that boy back to life. Now, another miracle. Now, why did Elijah have that faith and courage to know that the boy was going to survive? Is it because he just jumped into a situation? No, it's because God had been preparing him all the way up to this point. Courage was getting stronger. Faith was getting bigger. Just like you going through seasons of life, you go through that Kareth ravine of of total pain, then you understand you've got to be totally dependent. Now we can have unconditional obedience to follow what the Lord's calling us to do. It's another miracle. Why did it happen? Because God took him to the Kareth ravine first, where he was cut down. God took him through a season of total dependence, where he couldn't depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Then God dried up the brook so that he would leave where he was, go to where God ultimately wanted him to go, so once again, he could perform a miracle and raise the dead back to life. God used the horrible things to shape him to be the true man of God. All this happens before Mount Carmel. All this happens before Mount Carmel. Why do I say it? Because God was using the seasons of Elijah's life, the pain of his life, to prepare him to do something great. And that's exactly what he wants to do for you. The seasons that you go through, the pain that you may be in, the dependence that you have on the Lord is all a preparation for God using you so that you can go and stand in the culture, whether it's in your workplaces, your homes, your family life, your marriage, whatever it is, you can have that courage and confidence like Elijah. Why? Because God had been providing for him all the way up to now. Those are seasons of life. It's seasons of preparation. So I encourage you to stop praying for God to get you out of the situation and pray for God to teach you through the situation. Because there's no way Elijah could have stand on the mountain, Mount Carmel, in front of 850 people 
and had the confidence and courage to know God was going to burn up that altar unless he had gone through those pains of life. That's courage. Courage is understanding where we've been so to know where God's going to use us. You know, in a few moments, the band's going to come and sing a great song about God never letting us go. And I, 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 I got to know that Elijah felt like that, that God never let him go through those seasons of life, through the Kareth Ravine, through the ravens being fed, through the brook drying up, through the widow daily providing for food, through the death of her son. Always providing. And it's in the next chapter, chapter 18, that God calls Elijah again and says, now go to Ahab and, and gather the people so we can have this great showdown. And I, I, I love what the woman said about Elijah, because, you know, when we talked about Elijah, it just shows up on the scene. The only thing it says is that who he is, Elijah the Tishbite, right? I don't know much about him, just Elijah the Tishbite. It was later that we find out who he really is, because it was the widow who says to Elijah in 1 Kings 17, verse 24, says the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So we go from a man who the only thing we know about him is just that he's from Tishba to now we know that he's a man of God. Elijah goes from being known who he is to whom he comes from. In other words, it's not just about where you come from. It's about who is sending you. It's not about Jared from Phillipsburg, New Jersey. It's about whom I come from. I'm a child of God because I know and love the Lord as my Savior. And I hope and pray that you do that too, that you know that he loves you, that he died for you on the cross, and that he wants to have a relationship with you so that the pain you go through, the dependence that you need, the unconditional obedience that you need to have, you know that you go to him because he loves you. And then you start finding meaning and purpose to all those seasons of life, all the preparation for God to use you mightily. He wants to look at you and say, you know what? Carol, you're a woman of God. John, you're a man of God. Chris, you're a man of God. Lori, you're a, a woman of God. I want to use you mightily. I, I, I've got to do some more work inside of you so that I can work through you. The story is not about Elijah what he did on the mountain. It's what God did through Elijah to get him to that mountain. So when you have a story as well, a story of courage, don't look back on your life and say, I, I went through all this pain. So you know what? God used that pain to get me to the mountain that I need to be at. Because God uses people like you, people like me, to do some great things. And it starts with a little bit of courage. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for people like Elijah that can remind us how you take us through seasons of life, sometimes painful, sometimes hard, sometimes frustrating. Lord, I know some people in here right now are feeling alone, they're feeling afraid, they're feeling depressed, they're feeling sad. Lord, help them to realize that you are here, that you never let us go, and that you're using these seasons of life to prepare us to do something great. 
Lord, I thank you for those. Thank you for those seasons of preparation. Help us to be totally dependent on you each day. And help us to be obedient to your call, whether it's a call to be effective, take a stand in our workplace, in our schools, in our families. Help us to have that courage like Elijah did to step up. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in us so that you can work through us. I ask all this in your precious and holy name.